All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Geek Garage Podcast. I am your host, David Dassall. With me today is Ted. Hello, Ted. How are you? I'm well, David. Thank you for asking. Excellent. I, honestly, I didn't really care anyways. Fair, uh, fair. I, I, mean, I wasn't I'm, being honest honestly, honestly, I'm just glad that you made it in uh, and you didn't have to uh, take a boat to my house mm. instead of a, a, right. a fucking car uh, because uh, currently it is raining like a son of a bitch. It's pretty gnarly outside. It's pretty biblical. Yes. It's pretty biblical. Um, yes. Uh, thankfully, the, I drive uh, a completely unnecessarily large vehicle so i have a lot of a lot of ground clearance well uh it's a car that fits you both metaphorically and physically that is true uh, that's a not a fat giant. joke um how that, very gauche of you yeah <laughs> very droll right um yeah. no one well, i'm a literal giant so yes. you're, you're right it is, and no one ever accused me of being funny or uh witty or, or really anything other than um someone who tells really terrible fucking dad jokes so, Your dad. Yeah, I mean that's fitting. It's fitting. But and then there's dad jokes, and then there's like like oh. David dad jokes. Yeah, there's like get the hell out of my house dad jokes. Um, I can't kick you out of your own house. I I'm physically I'm sure I could, but I don't think it would be right or legal for that matter. Yeah, it, uh, there might be some law against it. I, I don't know. I I'm I'm not a lawyer. Well, let's look up precedent. Anyways, like I said, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. This is episode number 24, and today we are going to be talking about the director Dan Gilroy's latest efforts in filmography. Uh, it is Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, and it was on Netflix. It was released this past Friday, right? Yeah, uh, it came which, out on 2-1. Which was this last Friday. Yes, right in time for Valentine's Day, sort of, except it's not in time for Valentine's Day. It's still late, and it's not really a Valentine's-type movie. I don't I don't know. Well, I know that there are certainly couples out there that enjoy horror movies together. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also sort of the cliche of like, oh, bro, take it to a horror movie. Right. She'll, she'll hug up on you and all that. She'll be afraid. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of rooted in some, some not-so-great stuff, but... Uh, that's definitely a little bit of a cliche as well. And then, like I said, there are some some more, I guess, wholesome. It's not the right word to use since we're talking about like horror movies, but sure. some more genuine uh, love and, a, and affection of those type of films from couples as well. Right. Uh, but today we'll be talking about um, his uh, his latest movie, Velvet Buzzsaw. Like yes. I said, it is on Netflix. Um, and afterwards, we are going to do a retrospective on Nightcrawler, which was his first film. came out in 2014. Definitely. And, Very good movie. Uh, yes, and uh, two things. One, just like all of our other episodes, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about everything in the movie. Uh, so if you haven't seen either of those and don't want anything spoiled, then pause right now, go watch them, come back later, and listen to the rest of this episode. Yeah, particularly with the work of... Of Gilroy, since a lot of it is very story driven, you kind of have to cover the plot points and critiquing for his sure. Work so yeah, definitely, definitely heavy spoiler warning on these. Yeah, uh, like I said, we're we're gonna do uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh yeah, the second thing. Um, so we're going to basically split our time in half. The first half of the episode, we're gonna cover Velvet Buzzsaw. Probably go uh, 30, 35 minutes or so, and then the rest of the time is going to be directed towards Nightcrawler because we enjoyed both of these movies definitely not on the same level uh, and, and I would also say a different kind of enjoyment for yes, each of them absolutely from, from my perspective at absolutely least. And, and we definitely have a lot to say about both movies a lot of thoughts uh, so we will go ahead and get started yeah Velvet Buzzsaw it is uh, very it, we'll put it this way it is not easy to categorize 
it, right. it, it, you can definitely try your hardest. Uh, it, it certainly fits uh, in a couple of genres. And Ted, you had a, a few interesting thoughts on, um, on this, how you were trying to categorize it. Right. So I had a hard time personally deciding what I thought the movie wanted to be. Uh, on the one hand, it, it's, it's sort of marketed as a scathing satire of the modern art world mm-hmm. and art critics. And uh, like I said, kind of the modern art world as a whole. Jake Gyllenhaal plays an art critic. Those are sort of satirized dealers. Tony, uh, Rene Russo plays a very wealthy, very powerful art dealer. Tony Collette plays, uh, in the first part of the movie, she's a museum curator, art curator for a museum in Los Angeles where the film takes place. Then later she uh, leaves that job and also becomes an art dealer for an unnamed, I, be- I believe it's unnamed, client in the film. So on the one hand, it tries to be this really scathing sort of social satire uh, or art satire, if you will. And then, of course, it's definitely also a horror movie. And I, I kind of felt like, I don't want to say it defied categorization in the sense of like, oh, it was so powerful, it just couldn't be held down to one thing. Right. I think it, it fluctuated between the two. It vacillated a lot to me. It, it almost literally got split into at like almost the halfway point. Yeah. Like I, it was satire up until about the the end of the the midway point and then it turned into horror i would say for the first probably act and a half i definitely agree with you it it, it leans more heavily towards the satire where mm-hmm. all of the art critics have these absurd names like morph uh jake gyllenhaal's character is morph vanderwall i believe which right is, you know um we got coco Coco. Coco. Coco's my favorite. We'll come back to Coco. She is my favorite character in this She's movie. first re- referred to as like Rococo or something like that. Yes. And she's like, it's, it's just Coco. I don't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> Renee, like, all right, bitch. I will say, Renee Russo, uh, who's a great actress, she's been in a lot of, a lot of great films. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also a, in Nightcrawler. She was. She was. She was excellent in Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll touch back on that as well. She, she has a great body of work. She's very good in this movie in places. In other places, she's not as good. And that that's a critique not... Not just of her, I should say. I should say everyone in the movie, most everyone in the movie, most of the actors and actresses are very good in places. And in other places, you kind of want to slap them. Sure. Um, I kind of feel that way about the movie as a whole as well. <laughs> um, but she she does. She has that great line of like, whatever your name is. Her name is um, also something of sort of Rhodesia or... Uh, Rhododendron yeah, or something. If we, were, if we were more prepared, we would have like not the cast list. Uh, if only I had uh, a computer yeah, in had, front of me had where I could type had in all the IMDb. breadth and depth of human knowledge on it. Right. Uh, we can cut this out. <laughs> no, I'm we're not going to, but un- we could. No, because that would require me to take that precious effort. time out of my yeah. uh, schedule. I got and, shit and, to do. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, jokes aside. Redora Hayes. Redora, that's what it yeah. was. Um, of course, everyone has basically LA names. right. Everyone basically has a bougie LA name, um, for the most part. Again, for the first half-ish of the movie, the first act and a half or so, it's it's pretty well bent on satirizing that. And in places, I think it does it well. Mm-hmm. Some of it, though, I think a lot of it actually is it's a little, little too, too on, on the nose. The nose. Mm-hmm. It's a little too wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, hey, right. get it? We're sending this up. Like, no shit. That doesn't make a good satire. Good yeah. satire is is more dense than that. Right. right? It's, when I was thinking about how it was a little too on the nose, 
I wonder, I was wondering if that was done like on purpose, kind of as, as like a, a meta movie mm-hmm. where it's, it's like so self-referencing mm-hmm. that uh, you're like, well, do you, do I even want to give this movie that much credit? But then you're like, but do I? Because like, is, is it actually genius? Is mm-hmm. it not? Right. Uh, like it, I, I, I went back and forth so much trying to figure right, definitely. out, uh, if it is indeed too on the nose or if that was actually the point. And, and if if we can call it too on the nose, uh, if, if that was um, Gilroy's intention all along. Right. Um, so, you know, it's... I, I just thought... That was a thought that I had that I, I kind of wanted to toss out there that... And, and I think you raise a good point. So if it is a satire of the art world, which it, it paints art critics and, and basically everyone involved in this movie is unlikable. Yeah. Um, the, the, Except for the, a very select few yeah, there characters. Are, there are like three, I'll say three and a half characters that just come to me off the top of my head that I think are are redeemable in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Coco. Uh, Dam Reich, played by David Diggs, who is amazing. In this uh, movie, and, and in everything I've seen him in, genuinely, he's very good. I don't think I've seen... Uh, what else has he been in? So, as far as more accessible things, meaning available, I guess, to a wider audience, mm-hmm. he had a brief run on the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. Okay. He had a recurring character in the, I believe it was the second season. He was on uh, Blackish. I'm not sure if he was a recurring character or if he was a series regular, I'm not sure. Um, but I do know he was on that. He was also, I think, in the first run of Hamilton. Okay. I know he was on Hamilton for a while. And that that's, was... that's not really a big deal. I mean, right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't win any I've... fucking awards or anything. Right. <laughs> not... Tickets, you know, didn't get sold for, you know, like a billion dollars. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I know he was on that for, uh, for for a pretty good stretch. I think it was during the first run of that mm-hmm. show. Okay. Um, but that was, I think, the first kind of big thing. Right. And that became a huge thing, of yeah. course. But I think that was the first kind of big thing he did. He's... Uh, he went to Brown, I believe, so he's like classically trained in theater. Sure. Um, so, uh, was your third person um, Piers John Malkovich's character? Is he was that... he was my half character. Okay. Okay. Uh, my third full character would have been Gita, who was uh, a minor character. She is the woman who was um, cataloging all of the artwork, all of the Dees artwork. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, she's she's the one. She has the scene with Gyllenhaal where she's like. Um, this is in the trailer as well, where she says, oh, he mixed blood with the paint. Right. That's um, basically her only <clears throat> scene in that movie, right? Uh, she might have had, like, one, one of... One of a couple kind of small scenes. Yeah. Like I said, she's a very sort of minor character in the film, but um, she she seems like just... She's a good person doing her job. She even has the line, she's like, I'm glad to be done with this. Yeah. You know, like, she realizes that what they're doing is... I don't know that it's ever really shown how much she knows. It's kind of intimated that she knows in that conversation where she tells Jake Gyllenhaal, oh, you need to speak with Redora about that. Right. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I have her strictest confidence. Like, I'm in on it. Nudge, yeah. nudge. Um, yeah, and you but, had a, <clears throat> an interesting point. We can touch on this when we're finally done with this topic. But about, as we drone on. <laughs> uh, yeah, about uh, how... Uh, the the characters in this movie that you know are quote unquote the good guys uh, are you know they're redeemable uh, they they're the pretty much the only ones that know something's going on something's mm. not quite right right uh, so 
but we, we can continue mm-hmm. on with you know the the horror aspect right. of and uh, then uh, then the half character like I said is Pierce played by John Malkovich right. where he seems almost like um, a more or less innocent bystander to the whole sure. thing. Um, he's only in the movie fairly briefly yeah um, there's one part where Redora and he are talking and she says you know you need to get right go to my beach house and then he kind of disappears mm-hmm. um, for the rest of the movie um, <clears throat> excuse me but those those are really kind of the only redeemable in, in my mind at least the only really redeemable characters you can make an argument maybe for the uh, the the head of Dambrish's collective who I don't I don't know if his name is ever mentioned on screen he does kind of threaten Redora but I don't know if it's a real threat or if it's just more like posturing. Um, he comes in and he's like, stop trying to poach Damri. She works right. for the collective, basically. So, um, But really, the three and a half I mentioned are the only ones that you don't want. At least for me, I was kind of rooting for everybody else to die. I was like, you're all fucking awful. <laughs> I want to see you die. Right, <laughs> yeah, that is... Uh, the, uh, and and I, I guess that's a good way to segue into the... Uh, our, our thoughts on the the second half of the movie mm. and how it kind of shifts into this horror aspect mm. or horror genre is um, you, you see that it's it's almost like a trope in horror movies that mm. it sets up these really shitty characters yeah uh, and you just wait for them to die and it, it's it's like a benchmark slasher movie. movies do this a lot right. this is kind of like you said a trope or really a cliche that slasher movies do. Yeah, especially um, was, that one Friday the 13th movie with that obnoxious kid in the wheelchair. Ooh, I used to be a football player. Yeah, now fuck, I'm in a wheelchair. Fuck that kid oh, in particular. Oh, yeah? Well, now you get a machete to the fucking face and you get to roll down backwards down a flight of stairs in your wheelchair. And, How do you and, like that? And die also. Is... I, I'm just I don't have uh, a, an obsession towards making people in wheelchairs feel bad. <laughs> like, that's that's not really who I am. So That's I, not who I am as a person. That is not who I've ever been as a person. <laughs> Uh, right, but that kid can fucking go and die. <laughs> um, no, but it, it is it is like you said. It, it's kind of a, a conceit in, in most slasher movies. I think are the easiest examples to point to where, right. the, where the characters are either like stupid or useless, and you're just like, oh my god, please, Jason Voorhees, cut this bitch's head off or cut this idiot's head off. You right. Know? Um. So the movie does satirize them. They're all basically shallow, greedy, greedy. Um. Materialistic, materialistic, status obsessed. Like again, it's it's trying to satirize the art world and how absurd a lot of the art world is. And I I don't think that that's really an unknown. I think pretty much there's except for Jalen Hall who drives a uh, a, a, a Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper, yeah, inexplicably. Get the fuck out! Everybody in this movie, even even Tony Collette, who's like a museum art curator, has a fucking Audi or something. Everybody has like what you would consider a, a sports car or right. a high-end luxury car. Right. Something that <clears throat> something that a person of, of status or means would have. And he's driving even if it is a really nice Mini Cooper, it's uh-huh. a, it's the car from the fucking Italian job. Right. All right. I couldn't get over that. I just kept I, I kept waiting for Marky Mark to bump out of the bag and be like, oh guys, we're gonna rob a bank or whatever. <laughs> we found a transformer. <laughs> we fucking transformer. I kept waiting for some stupid shit like that to happen. I couldn't get it out of the back of my head. That to me, that was the most unbelievable part of the movie. And this movie has literal demon paintings. <laughs> painted uh, with real blood. And painted with yes. Um, so the whole <laughs> the whole construct of the movie is that um, I believe her name is pronounced Zawi. Her character Josephina finds her upstairs neighbor dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out he was this prolific painter. He had all thousands of works of art in his apartment, and they 
she basically steals them. Yep. In fact, she doesn't basically do it. She, in fact, steals them. Yeah, and there's a very quick scene where we uh, uh, we see the uh, her along with um, uh, Rene Russo's character and the, their lawyers mm-hmm. basically rehearsing what they're going to tell everyone so everyone's on the same page that, like, Oh, hey, she found these in the dumpster. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, yeah let's, let's get this straight. We, we found them in the dumpster, and that's, that's that. That's legal. It's yeah. okay now. Yeah, no it, problem. Morally... Fuck morals, I right. guess, but, yeah. but legally, I mean, it's the, the art industry. We're right. all vapid. So. Again, you want these people to die. Yeah. Um, horrifically, preferably, since mm-hmm. it's a horror movie. Yes. <clears throat> I'm well adjusted in real life, I promise. <laughs> um, so that's basically the whole construct of the movie. And, and then as it turns out, they're all, you know, uh, the, the person who painted them, it's sort of, inti- well, it's not intimated. It's outright said that he had a shitty life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was abused by his he was abused by his father. Gyllenhaal finds that out that he, uh, uh, Deese, the the artist, yeah, was abused by his father and removed from his father's care. And then spent what what was it like thirty years or was it twenty years or thirty years in a mental institution? I, I, I don't remember. remember the number of years that it said he spent in a mental institution. It was, it was but he twenty ins- or thirty. Yeah, he he eventually went back and killed his father. Is why he wound up in a mental institution. He he tortured and, and burned him to death. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and then wound up in a mental mental institution. One thing I I did notice. So, uh, I will in preparation for the podcast. I did the minimum amount of preparation. I at least watched the movie again. But uh-huh. something that I did put together is in that whole scene where Gyllenhaal Hall is typing up. He's he's supposed to be writing a book on this on this character mm-hmm. because Deese is now the huge talk of the art world. He found that he. Uh, Deese and his father were the only two survivors of what he calls a, quote, mysterious house fire that claimed the life of his sister and his mother. Um, and then you later find out that he burned his father alive. So I'm wondering if maybe he started that house fire or maybe his father did because his father was abusive. So mm-hmm. um, one of the two, I, I wasn't ever, I couldn't ever decide if that was kind of a plot point they wanted you to pick up on or if it was just, oh, fire, scary, cool, you know. Right. Um and, and that uh, basically that is where it flips from being a satire to a horror film is when uh, one of the characters who is a creep and w- what I thought was kind of a, a he he goes out of his way to make sure people know he's an artist right um, there's the, yeah, there's uh, a scene with, I, I'm not just a uh, a, a guy who screws in I'm not just bulbs. the builder yeah, yeah. Or the uh, the maintenance guy I'm or whatever artist. I'm an artist and um, creeps on. Uh, two, two or three of the women in the film. He creeps on uh, Josefina. Uh, I think that that kind of happens before she mentions it to Renee Russo's character Rador that oh yeah he creeped on me and I shut him down. And he also kind of creeps on Coco's character. Poor Coco, she has a rough in this fucking movie, man. She discovers like fifteen dead all, bodies. All the dead bodies. All of them. All of them. Um, so many dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's the uh, this this creep whose name escapes me and doesn't matter. He's a he's a creep, and I I kind of felt like he was sort of a representation of the Me Too movement. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I, and that that may not have been intentional on on Gilroy's part. That could just be piecing together things based on like the current climate mm-hmm. while while watching the film. Um, I don't want to assume intent on the author. Yeah. Uh, of course, but that that was kind of what what I took away from it, uh, right or wrong. Uh, he's the first to go. Um, I, w- I will say that if you've seen the trailer, you've pretty much seen how all the deaths, or at least the majority of the deaths, set up. I think all of them, except for any Russos, are basically highlighted in the trailer. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they they really should have recut the 
the trailer. Um, yeah. Like, it, it was a good trailer. It definitely but, got me interested in it. Yeah, but it gave too much away. Like, yeah. it, it showed you way too much of, uh, of what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, if they had even cut out maybe 15 or 20 seconds, um, I think it would have it would have still gotten the point across of the mystery of the movie, but it would have it would have left it more open ended. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just like, oh well, uh, I, I saw this in the trailer, so I, I knew this was going to happen. Right. He gets sucked into a painting of monkeys working on a car. Yep. I believe is what it is, which is is kind of funny. Um, you're you're never really sure. It's never really said exactly why these people are dying, or I, I guess more accurately, how they're getting killed. What the powers of these things are? If is it the paintings? Is it Deesa's spirit? Is it demons? Or what is it? You're never really sure what the power is because, for his death, for example, um, it lights up uh, an out of service gas station. Mm-hmm. You know, rings the bell. Uh, the ding ding ding. You know, right. if you run over a hose with a bell attached to it. You know, yeah. like they used to have an old time service stations. For others, you know, it's it's a physical manifestation. Like the character John Don Don gets pulled up by hands and then is found hanging. Um, it, it's never really highlighted and. I mean that didn't bother me too much if you're looking at it from like a schlocky horror movie perspective. Like, okay, sure. who gives a shit? Is it any is it any stupider than like the Friday the Thirteenth series? No. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> yeah, like uh, it. it I, I'm kind of on the same page where like a little bit of I don't know if exposition is the right word, but like I guess closure as far as why all this stuff is going on. Um, like maybe that would have been good, but I don't know if they could have pulled it off to where it wouldn't have been any less eye rolly than the movie already was. Like if yeah. they attempted to explain why all this was going on more than they kind of already did, right? Then it would have been like, oh, okay, well no, now it's kind of fucking stupid. Yeah, not yeah. not only are they uh, kind of failing at the the whole two on the nose thing. But now they're pandering and right. acting like their audience is stupid. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go. In a way, I'm kind of glad they didn't go like the paranormal activity route, where you're like, "Oh, it's ghosts or demon right. possession," because you'd be like, "Jesus Christ, with this shit." Right. You know, um, I did enjoy. In a way, I did kind of enjoy that they left it open ended, mm-hmm. even even though I wish they had nailed down a little more, like again, what the what the powers were, so to speak. Right. <clears throat> that that whole sequence with uh, Jalen Hall doing his research that was probably one of my favorite things. I agree uh, in, in the movie, like the way it was cut, the the uh, the score to that sequence, mm. um, him doing the research, his voiceover, the whole thing. Like I really enjoyed it, and I wish that they found a way to work that uh, uh, the similar concept of that into uh, the rest of the movie. Agreed. Um, instead of it just kind of being a little all over the place. Mm. But like this podcast, <laughs> no, <laughs> we're professionals. Totally, yes, I'm professional. You're fired. <laughs> so the the John Don Don John, yeah, John, John. I think uh, John Don Don Johnson. Uh, <laughs> he, he John Don Don, who yeah. is a rival art dealer to Redora, right? Um, Rene Russo's character Redora. Yeah, uh, I believe he's the second one to go. So yeah. the the theme in all the deaths, the the uniting theme in all the deaths, is that anybody who is making money off of the Dees artwork mm-hmm. is is going to buy it, right? Um, which, to me, 
has you have to tie that back into the satire. That's a that's an obvious choice on the part of the the writer and the director Dan Gilroy. He could have mm-hmm. been like, oh well, fuck it. You're all involved in some way. You're all getting it. Right. But he made it specifically people who profited from the D's artwork because right. D's exactly. wanted everything destroyed, um, which is. I thought that raised some really interesting questions about like what we consider art. How do how does commercialization change art? How do economics change art? Things like that change yeah. our perception of it. I thought those are. I thought from that perspective, the satire worked. I thought some other things didn't work as well. Like yeah, there was. About. Uh, yeah, that, uh, I'm. I'm glad that you said something about that because it reminded me of it, it. It was either Tony Collette's character or uh, Rene Russo's character. Uh, one of them said they had a line. Um, it it might have been a scene with both of them together talking to each other about. Uh, how we uh, art has the value that we put on it or, or something like that do you do you remember that line so i know there's one part later in the movie where basically as everything starts going to shit um which i'm sure we'll come to uh, but renee i know renee russo does have the line is like we don't sell durable goods we peddle in perception mm-hmm um, i'm not sure if that was the line you're thinking of but she's she's of course referring to like this artwork is only um it's basically only worth what we can get for it when it's hot or when it's right. fresh. Um, it's it's not like we're selling like a table, yeah. right? So she 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 makes it very plain in that in that regard. Yeah. So that dude dies, and then we got who is it after that? I think Tony Collette. Yeah, it was her, and then her her death was my favorite. I think uh, that was one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, as far as, tr- like, if they were going for a True horror, horror angle. horror angle, that's definitely it. Yeah. You said the funniest shit when we were watching this movie. You were like, oh, this is basically like the, the Chicago It's a shrunk down version of the fucking Chicago right, beat. So, and that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's there's no new thing to this. It, it's not an art piece. It's just a... Uh, it's just some asshole saw it. was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, so she gets her arm sawed off. Um, you know, she thought that she was reaching Buzz in. Buzzsawed off. Oh, yeah, uh, she thought that she was reaching in for Timmy the goods. Uh, maybe, you know, a nice big old cock and balls in there. Right. Uh, I don't know why that would be in there. Uh, I don't know. Somebody but, got a buzzsawed off, apparently. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, there was definitely no cock and balls in there. Um, there was. Uh, you actually do see, you somewhat see in there, so no, there, he's 100% correct, there was not. I was just reminded, there. there's no gratuitous nudity, uh, there's no boobs, However, there... Well, there's no gratuitous female nudity. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, that, that, that's what I was getting at. Um, if we're going to praise this movie for being uh, progressive at all, if we even want to go there, uh, all we see is, is male butts. Uh, yeah. and, and you can kind of almost, if you squint and turn your head a little bit to an angle, you can almost see some dude hanging brain. Yeah, a little um, bit. And, and one part of the movie, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who is... Um, I, I'm not sure if he's written as bisexual or if maybe he's um, questioning his homosexuality mm-hmm. um, because it, he is in a relationship with a man uh, at the start of the movie and then he has, he has an affair with the Josephina character. So there's some, like I said, I'm not sure if that's written because he, he has the line, you make me confused, that he says to Josephina. So I'm not sure if that's, um, like I said, I'm not sure if he's written as a bisexual man or if he's uh, a gay man who's now questioning his sexuality. Right. It, it doesn't really have it. That that doesn't really have any bearing on the film in terms of how how he's written. 
but I only bring it up to say he is he is in a relationship with a man, and his his partner does jump into the pool uh, nude. So, like I said, if you kind of turn, if you if you're if you're into that and you look for it, you can yeah. kind of see a little bit of a dude hanging brain. But yeah, so you know, yeah. yay, uh, pro- progressivism, yeah. if that's a thing. I don't. <laughs> I am. I'm. Um, I am smart man. <laughs> I know words. <laughs> I know. I, I know what things are. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah, and so we, uh, so she dies, and then of course we have uh, Jillian Hall, that that poor bastard. Oh my god, she there gets, was penetration, robot penetration. I, I'm pretty sure that's that's what happened. Yeah. Um, so, with, I I mean I don't know if he deserved to go out that way, but boy did he ever. He went out by God. Yeah, I guess that was. Semi-deserving, uh, or or uh, serendipitous, Th- or coincidental. Is, this is the only one of the deaths that I was on the fence about, because he's the only one that has a change of heart, mm-hmm. right? Um, he realizes he has that line that's in the trailer that is one of his best lines in the movie. Like something truly goddamn strange is going on, except yeah. he delivers it a thousand times better than I did. Where he realizes like. Did you, he finds out that Deese wanted all his artwork destroyed. He's basically like, we're shitting on this guy's legacy, his mm-hmm. dying wish by selling it and profiting off of it. And he, right. he realizes the, the sort of fucked up severity of the situation and that people are dying because of that. Right. Um, so I was a little on the fence. However, his character is kind of a dick in life. Yeah, I mean, just that one um, turn of, uh, you know, a change of heart. Mm. I, I we're we're not going to get into the philosophy of you know does forgiveness uh, you know repentance that, uh, upon death you know does that forgive a lifetime of sin we're not going to get into that but you know you you are right that uh, that you know it does bring up an interesting point of you know he was uh, out of all the the people that quote unquote profited um, from from his work being sold. Uh, and and then biting the dust mm-hmm. uh, his is pretty much the only one that's that can be questioned mm-hmm. but i i did find his death kind of uh i don't know if you want to say funny or interesting or whatever, kind, but, of, kind of amusing uh, almost but it's if you if it was deserved it was a deserving death uh, because he made a career out of shitting all over uh, people's right. work. Uh, that That's what he was known for mm, in the exactly. art critique world. Like I said, what, he was what, kind of an asshole yeah, and, to everyone. And, yeah, and that was basically the first piece that he um, that he uh, saw at the very beginning of the movie. Was, right, so was in the, in the uh, trailer it's called Hobo Man is, yeah. is the, the the name the movie gives this piece. It's the kind of worn down robot looking. He looks a little bit like a cross between maybe um, the Lone Ranger because he's wearing like a black eye mask. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a cross between like the Lone Ranger and then like a sort of a 30s to 40s suit kind of with crutches and sure um he has a, a couple of really good lines where he's like you know once i built the railroads and do you know what it's like to feel invisible and uh, or i think it's have you ever felt invisible and i can't save you right um, and when he you see later at, at the funeral of john Dondon, which also is one of one, what i think is one of the funniest parts where Jake Gyllenhaal's character critiques the goddamn coffin that the guy is being buried. He's like, "Could you imagine spending eternity in this?" Right, <laughs> and then that, which is just such a shitty thing to say, but right. it's so funny to me. That's one of those things that a lot of people say at funerals because no one really knows what the fuck to say at right. a funeral if you are not like directly affected. Like mm. if you're attending 
like as a friend of uh, the family of uh, you know the uh, surviving family, mm. you don't know what the fuck to say. Right. So you say thing, say weird shit that you would never say. Like it's a beautiful coffin mm. or, or a beautiful casket, uh, but the fact that he's you know talking he's a critic, shit yeah. at, about, about he just, the he casket, just cannot turn it off. Yeah, yeah. He, I was about to say the same thing. Like he he, it's a a lifestyle mm. uh, or like he's adopted his just a job. pretentious dick. Yeah, yeah, his job is like part of who he is. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely um, an interesting part right. of the but movie. Anyway, in that funeral scene, um, another character whose whose name completely escapes me comes up and is like, "I can't believe you gave Hobo Man a bad review." Now right. it's that was. You know that that was the future of art, basically, or something to that effect. Something, some, some just extravagant statement about. I think it. his name Claudio or Claudio. Yes. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Um, played by Mig Macario. That's I, it. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but that's that's the character I'm thinking. Yeah, about. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen him before. Um, he comes up and he's like, "Now, nah, now it's sitting collecting dust in a storage facility, and it's the same storage facility that Jake Gyllenhaal right. uh, yeah. goes to." So anyway, the 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 setup is he he goes and he's. He's walking out, and this thing is posted in in the hallway, basically. Mm-hmm. And Jillian Hall's like, "I'm fucked," <laughs> you know. He, right, like, like you could see, he you're plays not it completely Ron. right. Right, <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. He walks up, and the thing powers up, and it looks at him, and he's just and, and I built the railroads. This line chills me. It, it is one of the this along with the the scene with Tony Collette's death scene is one of the true like horror moments to mm-hmm. me. Where the robot is just like, I can't save you. And I was like, fuck that. Nope. That noped right out. Right. <laughs> you know? um, and then Gyllenhaal starts trying to run away and scramble away. And the thing is on crutches and it's moving like shambly. Uh, you know, it just kind of shambles along. Like, uh, but anyway, so the robot, sh- at first it shambles along. It loses one of his crutches and it's kind of limping along. And then it, it cuts and the fucking thing is running. Right, and that scared the goddamn bejesus out of me. <laughs> yeah, um, I it mean, was so it was just unexpected. It was just one of those great like, oh 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 fuck, it's worse now right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of yeah. moments. And then um, Gyllenhaal eventually runs into like a locked gate, uh, like you know, like an eight foot tall fence or gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing comes up behind him and like pins him up against the fence, and uh, that's why I said there's penetration and. Uh, it's just like I can't save you. Crushes glasses. Then I, it, it, it sounds like it breaks his neck. Um, you yeah, don't you see never... his body afterwards, so you're not really sure if it like completely decapitates him or twists his head around backwards or what. But like, it's got him kind of turning his head, and then you hear like a crack. So I'm assuming it like breaks his neck at, at the very least and kills him. Yeah. Uh, Coco finds him too because Coco is the unluckiest bitch in the <laughs> fucking world. Uh, yeah. I I bet that a- after these events she found the man of her fucking dreams and lived happily <laughs> she, ever goddamn she, after she deserves everything in life right she just seems like the nicest sweetest little woman young lady from michigan right and the world just shits on her for like a fucking month straight in this movie <laughs> like, yeah the character of josephina gets she has one of the more interesting deaths i yeah. thought it was it was one also one of the more out there ones yeah it was uh, i mean i i uh, except for um, the the last one, it was probably the most supernatural. She basically dies via paint. She all the paint she, uh, drips right. out of the, so the painting. So she basically gets sort of like sucked into a graffiti mural, um, which is fitting. Now, the more that I think about it, the more that I think all, all of these deaths are fitting, uh, or 
like coincidental or mm-hmm. ironic um, because you know the Jake Gyllenhaal one he's trying to change and the, the robot's like I can't save you Josephina has the line with Damris uh, just right before this where she's like oh you're just gonna hang out here with your loser friends and do graffiti murals basically and then right. she gets sucked into a graffiti mural right um, which again that's an obvious artistic choice so I, I think my takeaway from that is like art is art it doesn't matter if it's like graffiti or you know high-end bougie yeah. fucking paintings or whatever right um which I, and again i i think that i'm taking that and interpreting it because that's how i view art yeah right um but that's a that's a deeper discussion than a couple of douchebags yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, it's it's something as long as you know it's something that you put effort into um right. and, and you know you took pride in then like i said she has one of the more interesting deaths and and that scene is actually played sort of as as the uh with with a red herring in it because she's on the phone with uh redora renee russo's character at the time and yeah. it's setting it up so that it looks like renee russo is about to get it she's she's trying to get her cat out of a storm yeah uh and this this huge like sculpture or something she has is is pushed over by the wind mm-hmm. and you think oh she's going to get crushed and die this is how she ends meanwhile this whole time you see the paint sort of drip down and then like flow towards her and then eventually it, it, it engulfs her and uh, it cuts back a little later and she is you see like her face and, and sort of the top half of her body like as part of a mural mm-hmm. uh, and then Renee Russo lives for like another 10 movie minutes <laughs> I thought the setup for Renee Russo's death was very interesting it shows the painting the Deese painting she has and it's like a person sort of crouched over with an animal and then the two shadows looming towards them right and then uh, Gilroy frames the shot in such a way so that that's exactly the scene you get right before she eats it mm-hmm. um, and then she has the velvet buzzsaw tattoo on the back of her neck because that name is taken from um, obviously not only the title of the movie but is taken she's supposed to be in like a punk band and that was the name of their band she has the tattoo on her mm-hmm. neck and then it starts well buzzsawing yeah and you're, you're basically led to believe that it cuts her head off although you don't see that the movie doesn't get quite that gruesome for her right. Um, and then it just shows uh, Coco riding off into the sunset. She's the only one that made it because she was the only good person in the fucking movie. Right. Yeah. So other than Dan Reese, who also lives because he was like, "Fuck that, I'm out." Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of of Dan Reese, to kind of circle back, something I noticed on the second watch is that all the artists, or at least two of the artists, the real artists in the movie, uh, Dan Reese, played by David Diggs, and uh, Piers, played by John Malkovich, the first time they see the Deese artwork they realize something's off. Right, right? yeah. They have that scene where they, um, Pierce walks up, Damrish is just sitting there, like, smoking a, a vape pen. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just like... Noted, notably, John Malkovich, his character, has quit drinking right, for that's a, a, apparently quite some time. 15 years, yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, um, that sounds right. And uh, Immediately after seeing the artwork, like, grabs a, what appears to be a whiskey from one of the passing servers right. at this exhibit. And they're both just like, and Dan Reese is like, I gotta fucking go. Like, yeah. immediately, and just dips. Mm-hmm. Um, he also has a scene later with Josefina where they're in her apartment looking at it. He's like, have you ever really looked at this painting? It moves. Like, he can tell, they both both of them kind of know, like, something's not right. Yeah, that, that was one thing. Like, I remember that line, and then I, uh, of course, heard it again on my second viewing, mm-hmm. and I was, uh, I wondered if he 
meant literally because you know for like the the paintings do actually move for for some of the characters uh but right it it, it actually shows that right um, so that, it shows that and i think that's for the, the benefit of the viewer to be like oh haunted paintings or, or whatever maybe not quite that cheesy but all right my question uh was is that supposed to be you know um uh figuratively or literally uh, my guess was figuratively mm. uh, the that, way he means it when he says yeah, it. When, yeah when he says that the painting moves uh, yeah. to me it, it seemed more figuratively just because that it seems like that would make more sense mm-hmm. rather than the alternative which kind of would be repetitious since it actually does move mm. for uh, the people that it that it ends up killing right so so one thing I wasn't sure about is are they uncomfortable because they realize something's wrong with the artwork or they're uncomfortable because they're realizing like they're looking at a true master artist, mm-hmm. right? That was one thing I, I couldn't quite decide on which one I felt was more true. Um, it, it could be a mixture of both. It, it may be that they're not sure either. I tend to lean, at least for the character of, um, for David, David Diggs's character, I tend to lean more towards he realizes something is wrong with it because he says some of the way, some of the ways he describes the art, like, otherworldly yeah um is, is one of the ways he describes it which again that's a that's a positive choice on the uh, literal you know. <clears throat> blood and sweat and tears and right. flesh went into right. the paintings um, tony collette calls them she has a line where she's like you get ga- you you gasp as you look into the sublime or something talking about Deese's art so um you you kind of think that at least some of the people are like man something's fucked up about these even right. if they're not sure what it is um, but that, that was something I noticed on, on my second watch was that the, the, the two artists, the true artists, were like, eh, something's not quite right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something else I noticed, in as it sets up the scene where Josephina and Rodora are on the phone, or I think it's maybe before this, uh, Rodora's cat, she has a, a hairless cat. Yeah. One of them scrotum cats. Right. One of them ball sack cats. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is carrying around like a dead bird, I think it is. Yeah. It takes it up to the Deese painting and just drops it, and I was almost like an offering. Yeah. You know, so I was like, maybe the cat knows something fucked up going on too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I just I thought that was a really cool touch. I don't know if it meant anything. Like, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who's like, everything in the movie has to mean something. Sure. Um, even though basically this whole time I've been like, I think that means this. Right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that that is, you know, something kind of odd mm. in, in the movie so I, I I would be willing to mm. go as far as to say it, uh, it, it would mean at least right. something. I, I know that there's sort of the old, uh, at the very least kind of the old wives tale so to speak that um, animals kind of know they have like a sixth sense so to speak about um, ghosts or mm-hmm. devils or whatever so I, I just thought that was a cool if nothing else that was a cool little thing that they put in the movie yeah. so you had uh, uh, you had like one fan theory about this yeah. movie that yeah. was really funny so I think fan theories are kind of some, of, some of them are good but some of them are a lot kinda, of some most of them are, of them are pretty goddamn ridiculous yeah. yeah some are really stupid hinge on the dumbest shit yeah um, my little fan theory of sorts um <laughs> So I say this jokingly. We've talked a lot about the character of Coco, who basically finds the majority of the corpses. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think she finds all of them except um, Rene Russo's, who, and, well, and Joseph. I take that back. She doesn't find all of them because the first guy they assume disappears. 
Josephina gets sucked in for the artwork, and then the movie ends after Rene Russo dies and yeah. Coco's leaving. So she she does find at least um, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, John Dondon, yeah. and Tony Collette's character, yeah. uh, whose name escapes me. <clears throat> but Excuse three me. deaths within like a what week, like a basically. week at least. That's pretty shitty. That's a pretty bad track. <sighs> that, record. that is a bad week. Um, but anyway, uh, my my theory is that she's the killer. This whole this whole movie is basically a Coco <laughs> fever dream as she slips deeper into the depths of her insanity, right. um, and she kills all these people because she's fucking nuts. Yeah, um, like horror movie nuts, not like real life mental illness nuts. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you 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 kind of uh, just brought this up as a quick side note earlier, but uh, you you were kind of like reassuring the audience or the our listeners that. You're you're not uh, actually a, a psycho. That you're a yeah, well-adjusted right. person. <laughs> right. Um, and and uh, during the um, the episode that I did with um, my friend Shauna on when we talked about horror movies, mm. we addressed that a little bit, where we we talked about how people uh, uh, like true hardcore fans of horror and and uh, suspense and sci-fi movies. Those true fans are like actually well-adjusted people right. whereas in, in uh, like if you were to take someone that uh, wasn't a fan of horror at all and ask them what do you think about the people that enjoy horror movies they probably say something like oh those people are like really fucked up in the head yeah um or, I, and I think that's a common thought among a lot of people who especially people who aren't into horror or maybe like anti-horror right they're like oh if you're into that there's something wrong with you yeah and i do think there's something to be said like if you're watching a horror movie and you're like actively rooting at slashers as much as I love slashers a lot of slashers particularly low grade bad slashers have this problem where it's like you're actively rooting or they want you to actively root for like the killer or the yeah. creature or whatever and like gen- generally I, you know I think anybody with sense can look at and be like generally it's like you wouldn't women. do that well not that but oh, gen- generally the victims are like young women and so it's kind of gross that you're rooting for this thing to like yeah. butcher young women that's kind of messed up and I think if you're like getting some kind of weird enjoyment out of that you should um, seek help you should probably like do some self reflection yeah you know like do I hate women do I have problems with women and, and I don't want to get like super like political or whatever because I'm not that I'm not that guy but I think like you can I think I, I feel good about like looking at that and being like mm, why am I enjoying this you yeah. know like I think self reflection is a good thing um, but in general I think you know I like to joke around about a lot of shit. I don't like dark humor, but like I don't think I'm a, a bad person. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it is a fun idea to entertain that. Um, you know, her she was basically having you know some sort of fever dream. Right. Uh, of you know, it, and a lot of the humor behind that is that she is a really young person. Like I'd, I'd say, I'd say early twenties, and, and um, she, she, which means that she is very new to this art world. She's right. she's basically a gopher and uh, actually in, the, in the, the more I think about this this started out as just like a joke that I thought of watching the movie but now the more I think about it there's some like some clues so this could go into like the reddit fan theory yeah. like archive of, of dumb you're shit you're gonna go home right after this and uh, I'm gonna get all the karma uh, right. or whatever it's called I'm not actually sure that's what it's called but I, I don't know I don't know what I the cool kids Reddit. are saying I'm nowadays I'm so much of a loser I don't even fucking reddit that's how much of a loser I am <laughs> <laughs> um but, like, there's the... She interviews with John Dondon. He's like, you're too young. Um, you know, uh, Rodora gets her name wrong. So, like, there's all these things where it's just, like, where you can see she has, like, a horror movie's worth, at least, of want for revenge on these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's just a funny theory. Like, obviously, it's it's played um, relatively straight in terms of the story in the movie. Right. right? So, it's, it's like, it's it's not a question of who did it or... 
or whatever. I just think it's a, it's a funny like what if kind of thing to me. Yeah, true. Something that you found like a a continuity sort of uh, between in, two in lines in in this movie and in Nightcrawler that will serve as an excellent segue. <laughs> yes, our from, perfect segue from, from one to the other. Yeah, from this movie to uh, to our retrospective on Nightcrawler. Right. So in in Nightcrawler, there's the line that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal gives to I, I think he says this to Renee Russo's character in Nightcrawler. I, I actually have a lot to say about this scene. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, get to that later. Uh, he says to her, "A friend is a gift you give yourself." Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Nightcrawler, he has another line about friendship that he says to Josefino, where he says, we don't realize the value of friends until they're gone. Yeah. I don't know that the director intentionally had, I don't know that it's a callback necessarily, or I don't know that he intentionally had those two that flow together. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a neat little thing that I uh, that I happened to catch as I was watching. Uh, in, in preparation for this, I kind of back-to-backed Nightcrawler and yeah. Velvet Buzzsaw, and that was just something I happened to catch. Um, I fucking love Nightcrawler. Yeah, Dude, that movie fucking owns. <laughs> no, I, it, it, yeah, it's it's so fucking. I, that is probably the best four dollars that I've spent um in, yeah. in, a, in a really long time. I don't think I've watched it since it was new. Um, I remember it got a lot of buzz in theaters. Um, I'm kind of agoraphobic, so I don't like to go out to the theater a lot. But I was like, I definitely need to see this movie. It was on Netflix for a long time. I remember yeah. I definitely watched it when it was on Netflix. But mm-hmm. again, I think that was when it was closer to release and it came out in 2014 yep. you said so it's been a couple of years at least since i watched it and i did the same thing i rented it from from uh, a streaming service and i was like fuck i need to find this movie on blu-ray this movie is amazing yeah this is basically the first note that i have about it and it actually uh, now that i'm i'm looking at it again it kind of uh, ties into a little bit of uh, a few of the themes with uh, velvet buzzsaw where it um it seems that Gilroy is not afraid of making his uh, either the lead character or the main characters in his movies the villains instead mm. of the heroes yeah. uh, or, or pr- protagonists versus antagonists mm. because Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, is it Louis, Louis Bloom, Louis Bloom uh, he is one hundred percent the villain or antagonist. Uh, oh, without a doubt. Uh, as the main character of this movie. Yeah, he's basically um, a complete sociopath. I yeah I uh, th- that was another one of my notes is uh, and I guess this would be a good opportunity to uh, visit that that one restaurant scene when when he finally convinces Renee Russo's character to go out to that Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Up until that scene, I was kind of battling back and forth with myself on, is he a psychopath? Is he a sociopath? Or is he just some regular guy that is... Maybe he's just kind of an idiot. Yeah. Uh, that, well, that he, like, he's, he's just a, a, a real creep that is, yeah, like, is was, kind of uh, willing to like maybe choke someone out or potentially kill a guy because we really don't know what happens to that guy. He, at the very at, least at, beats the shit out of that security guard Yeah, we, we don't know if he killed him or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we do know that he he rendered him incapacitated. Uh, enough be, to steal his watch at least. Enough to steal his and watch. And get the rest of the fence or whatever. Right. Was. But uh, yeah, up until that, up until the restaurant scene, I was on the fence of whether he was just a creep or if he was actually like a sociopath or psychopath. That that really sold it for me that he and, like he was something seriously fucking wrong with that guy. And then he had that line, the exact line that you said, he looked at her and he was like, "A friend is a gift that we give ourselves." And I was like, "This guy's a fucking psycho." Yeah. Like, 
I, I was like, there is no doubt about it. Because not only was that is that something that a psycho would say, but I feel that that line is, uh, and again, not to get like too political, but it, it ties in really well with our uh, current climate as far as... Right, consent. Yeah, and consent and men convincing women. Coercing. Yeah, uh, yeah. using uh, mental manipulation. Or, or uh, power dynamics yeah, or what have you. Yeah, to, to convince them to either go out with them. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, with all this being said, you know, I, I don't want to put words in women's mouth uh, and, and speak for them. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, this is just an observation that that I made like I can see what women talk about when when they say say those things right. like men have that that power sometimes mm. and uh, we just basically just need to be so careful a, what the a, fuck a, we say a, right a couple a couple of things like you you think generally if you see a, a movie and it starts out with the main character beating a guy maybe to death or at least to the point of incapacitation yeah you're like oh this movie's starting at 100 nah man that's like 10 and then it fucking right. gets crazier right with Jill character. Um, something else that's interesting you, you brought up like or maybe I mentioned it, it it's irrelevant we, kind of, we talk a little bit about like power dynamics and, and, mm-hmm. and relate, you know relationships in this movie um, the power dynamics are like kind of reversed so Rene Russo's character sort of has, at least you would think in this scenario, where she's the news uh, editor or program director, I think. Yeah. She, you would think, oh, she has the power in this because she decides whether she wants to buy his footage or not. Mm-hmm. And then he completely flips the script and is like, no, I'm fucking in control. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely turns... And it's, just, uh, it's creepier and creepier and creepier. And, and hats off to Jake Gyllenhaal, who I think is a great actor, but he fucking is amazing in this. This yeah. may be the best thing I've seen him in. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and I've seen Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> but he, even some of the little things, like, he doesn't blink. During his less psychotic moments, mm. he seems like either uh, a, a CEO of a tech company or someone that you would watch give a TED Talk. Right. Uh, he, he's, uh, like, he's such a great speaker. The only platform that he has where he's speaking to a quote-unquote audience is at the very end when uh, you know you, you see him now he's starting uh, his own company yeah right, right. Uh, but any other conversation that he's having is, is just that more or less it, one-on-one it, it, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a conversation one-on-one the one that sticks out the most is I think it's the first time that he, it, it, he doesn't get a tour of the studio mm. but it's the first time that he sees the backdrop right. for uh, the, the anchor desk or whatever mm-hmm. And uh, and he's delivering this uh, this kind of monologue, I guess, about how he got interested in in this entrepreneurial spirit and decided to start applying himself. And he talks about like going taking an online business class and stuff. And he the way he talks is very like passionate, and, and you feel like the energy. I get where you're coming from, but I, I disagree with your outcome of it. To me, he comes off. As, I agree that he sounds like like someone you'd see as like a CEO or a pitch man. He sounds like a salesman to me. Okay. Like he's he's he comes off as a bullshit artist to me. Okay. Uh, a very good one, but there's there's that veneer. It's a it's only a veneer of sincerity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you can tell that this guy is like in it for himself. Um, he's in it to win it, so to speak. He reminds me a little bit. Um, the movies are completely different, and the characters are, are very different in some ways as well. But he reminds me a little bit of Alec Baldwin's character in Glengarry Glen Ross. Have you ever seen that? 
I know he's of just it, like, I haven't seen it. He's just like the ultimate salesman, basically, like okay. super type A. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of that in like his pitches, but just he just fucking nails his performance so well. He lost like 20 pounds because he said he envisioned Louis, uh, excuse me, Louis Bloom as being like hungry like a coyote. Yeah. Like he he, he was just hungry for an opportunity or something. Um, so also plays into his actual living situation for most of the movie. Right, uh, just living in like some shitty apartment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you see like the establishing shots outside of his building, and it's not a great building. No. Uh, granted, you know, I, I think it, this also takes place in L.A. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you know, anything that's semi-affordable is still going to look like garbage. Right. But, yeah, that I, I think that does also play into mm-hmm. um, his, his actual living situation is that, you know, he's he's supposed to look, uh, look that way. Right. Like I was saying, he comes off as a bullshit artist to me, like, which is in line with kind of how I feel about the character in that he's like... A sociopath basically he doesn't have any remorse for his actions he doesn't have any feeling towards them he's just like he's trying to use his charisma to get what he wants right you know, he's trying to basically form his own cult of personality in some ways yeah like i was saying when i was still kind of battling back and forth up until a certain point with whether you know whether or not um, he was actually psycho or not uh, i was like well maybe he's kind of like the the I forget how they they phrase it, but like the the chaotic good or chaotic neutral or whatever, mm. um, or just your your typical, you know, like Tyler Durden, Jack Sparrow, Loki, like your your antihero. Right. Um. That that's uh that's kind of what at first he kind of right. comes is off. is he desperate or is he is like something something deeper going on? Yeah. I, I kind of do what you're saying. Yeah. Um. And, and I think. You know, I have the benefit of again watching, having watched the movie a couple of times now, and and once recently to sort of have an idea of what I think the performance is and what the character is. So, um, I, I definitely dig dig on what you're saying with that. Um, his scenes, like he, he's creepy in this movie throughout, mm-hmm. right? To varying degrees. To me, the two most off putting scenes because he straight up murders a guy. Well. Mm-hmm. He commits an act that straight up leads to a guy's death, so or presumed death. You don't actually see if he. Two of them, really, <laughs> you, because uh, the first one, Bill, uh, Bill Paxton, tough loss there. That's I know, the piece, buddy. Um, he cuts his van's brake lines. Yeah, um, and then they careen and hit a telephone pole, mm-hmm. and he of course records it because that's his whole thing. He's a nightcrawler, and you see Paxton's character look up at him with what I thought was a knowing look, but that could just be me reading into it. Um, that's it, that's what I got. What, right. Like, because he was wide eyed. Right. And uh, he, it was, it was, it, what it looked like was a, a look of sh- both shock and mm-hmm. like, uh, like I know you did this. How could you have done this? Right. Um, and, and the reason I think that is because since they're both nightcrawlers, Paxton's character would have thought you would have thought like, oh, one car collision. Who gives a shit? Let's go find like the murder scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Gyllenhaal's there before anybody else is kind of right. like, how did he know this is like? Did he he knew this was going to happen? Yeah. Right. Um, there's that. We don't know if his character dies. I, it kind of leads you to believe he does because he's never seen in the movie again. But mm-hmm. he might just be in the ICU for the rest of the film. We we don't know. Yeah, we're we're kind of led to believe that uh, uh, Dan Gilroy doesn't care. A whole lot about loose ends, uh, yeah. or, or, or uh, I, I mean, not tying up all loose ends. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe or maybe he, he's fine with the idea of people interpreting what they want mm-hmm. from it, which 
that's a kind of kind of refreshing. Of the, yeah, yeah, part of the point of art to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, one one interesting thought that I had, I was wondering if Lewis Bloom could be like an embodiment of the attitude and urges that a lot of people have to basically do whatever it takes to, mm. to succeed in life, um, where we entertain all thoughts uh, and possibilities to, to do whatever it takes. And, you know, just as a lay person, you know, you're, you're thinking and be like, you know what, things would just be much better if, you know, like my boss didn't wake up in the morning. Right. Uh, and yeah, I, I think and, everybody's had dark thoughts. Yeah. Let's and, say. and, and I, uh, on some level, I feel like he could be, um, and I could be off because, you know, I'm, I'm not a movie critic. I, I'm just someone who watches too many movies. Some dude, right? I'm, I'm just some dude. Yeah. Uh, same, same. I, I'm, um, some guy on a train with no answers. Just a man on a train with no answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, that's what it kind of looked like to me was that he could be the embodiment of, of someone who, mm. uh, is is willing to literally do whatever it takes in order to come out on top, right? Um, and and that includes uh, letting your um, passenger friends uh, slash employee get shot so you can warp the news. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. essentially what he does. Uh, which is kind of a, a definitely a whole another topic that we could spend another hour hour and a half on. Right. Uh, the fact that. Um, it's it's kind of meta there, there in a are way. Numerous instances where he changes the composition of a shot, so he like moves a body at a car crash yeah. so that it like frames better. Basically, mm-hmm. um, he allows his friend to get shot because that's a more interesting story. Right, interesting is the wrong word, but I, I think it's. It, yeah, we. I, 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 I get what you're fits, saying. It, you know? It's it, yeah. They. Uh, I mean, it it definitely plays into the idea that. Um, statistically um, and factually, over the years, uh, you know, crime has gone down, right. but the reporting of it has gone up. And he even mentions that there's a scene where that's said explicitly. He's like, "Did you know I I've researched this, or I've read a study that researched this, where like local news, local economics, state news, it's all it's all like I think he says like 17 seconds mm-hmm. or eight seconds. It's like some really like infinitesimally small number within right. the context of a news broadcast." Yeah. And then he's like, but violent crimes da, 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 have been reported for like an exponentially larger amount of time within yeah. the news. And I was just like, Ugh. You know? yeah, uh, <laughs> no, but I, it's true though. Like if you if you read the news, uh, or if you're like me and you're on the Twitter, like it's doom and gloom every day, and it's the right. fucking end of the world, and like it we're keeps gonna, businesses we're die in, in business. nuclear fire, right? But it's like that's not reality. Now I don't want to again. I don't want to get super political in this because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that guy. But I don't want to say that there's not that in the world or there's not ugly shit in the world. I don't want to say that or I right. don't want to say that things don't affect you. I get that. I understand that. But I'm saying that on the whole, like you like you mentioned, violent crime is down. You know. Right. So, but if you were to watch the news, it's like, oh fuck, we're, we're all gonna die every day. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was an interesting addition. And again, I think like with some of the things we mentioned in Velvet Bloodsaw, I think that's a definite choice that. Gilroy made in writing it. Yeah, you know what? Whether he meant for it to be a a talking point where it's like, oh, uh, you know, the news is lying to you, or whether it was just something that he wanted to throw out there, like, hey, maybe we should be more aware of this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it was definitely included for a reason, even if it was just for Jake Gyllenhaal's character to be fucking weird and creepy. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is something that I picked up on that I thought was kind of interesting, and it's something that I actually really like about the movie, is the overall tone, direction, and cinematography. 
It's uh, shot beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like a cross between like Fincher, Soderbergh, and there's someone else uh, like maybe like John Wick almost for the uh, like the the car chase uh, not car chase scenes but like when it's going fast. It kind of remind me of some of the like action scenes that right uh, sort of kinetic, but it's it's not. It's not like chopped to shit where it's right. like 37 cuts per minute or whatever. Right. Um, but one thing that stood out to me, the score. Like it, it opens up with a I'm really like really, positive. I'm really glad you brought this up because yeah. I, I, I have thoughts. Okay. <laughs> Yours are probably more comprehensible and uh, well thought out, more well thought out that. than mine. But yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you agree because it was. it's not necessarily something I'm confused on. It's more like it's a very interesting choice as far as the music you could have chose to to both open up your movie with, as well as continue it throughout uh, until right. the end. Right. It, it, it's sort of almost like a uh, like an ongoing suite, right? Yeah. I thought the same thing. In rewatching the movie, it starts out with a very positive major key theme, and you're mm-hmm. like, this seems off. Especially having seen the movie, I was like, this doesn't really fit with what I remember at the movie. So either I remember something way fucking wrong, which Mm -hmm. I doubt, or this is a a distinct choice that they use this score and not something more, I guess, tonally representative so it's like minor keys and dirty well good and, friend this is why we rewatch movies mm-hmm, yes. indeed <laughs> yes shallow and pedantic <laughs> but that got me thinking and I thought well maybe it's just because it's the opening and it's like the sunrise right or I'm sorry the sunset and it's like Los Angeles and mm-hmm. it's like you know this this super glorified city and everybody's like it's the dream destination for so many people but then it kept going yeah. and like and in then places, some dude possibly dies within the first right. five minutes of and the movie. And then in other places in the movie where you'd think the score would be like either more subtle or, like I said, minor key or kind of more like tonally uh, adjacent to what's happening, it still kind of keeps up with the major positive. And that got me thinking. I was like, why the fuck is that? That has to be a, a specific choice. That has to be... I think a, be- there has to be a reason. Right. I think because at the heart of this movie, it's supposed to be telling of the American dream. Uh, how a you, bastardization of it, but exactly, I agree. Exactly, where you could achieve a but, greatness. I mean, think, think about it. Lou achieves financial, a significant amount of financial gain. Mm-hmm. He's very successful financially. Goes from driving that, uh, that 81 Honda, how dare you? A beat to shit Toyota Tercel to right. a brand new uh, Dodge Challenger. Yeah. Cherry Red Dodge Challenger. Uh, so financial gain, he moves up in life. Um, he gets a girlfriend, sort of, even though it's not really a relationship. It's more like a, a toxic coercion uh, and yeah. codependency. And yeah, shit. it's not good. Um, he gets famous within his working environment. He gets mm-hmm. his own company at the end. So, like, yeah, it's definitely a bastardization of the American dream. So, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Something that I read, and I can't remember who said this, whether it was the director or maybe it was Jake Gyllenhaal speaking in an interview. The music cues or what he hears, what he, Lou, hears in his head as he's mm. framing shots. Which would make sense if he's like, I'm fucking moving up in the world. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. this guy's dead. But yeah, the score is phenomenal because it, it, it sticks out because it's like, this doesn't seem right. You know, m- most most other movies, most other films would play as like a like a darker, more ominous sort of tones. Yeah. Vel- Velvet Buzzsaw does this. They have it's. I thought Velvet Buzzsaw had a great score, but it's a more traditional sort of like, 
sort of horror score. Yeah, you know. But but then again, there uh, there was less of a, a a main character, a traditional main character in Velvet Buzzsaw, whereas in in, in Nightcrawler, you you definitely have your main character. Oh, agreed. And and. and uh, instead of going uh, in the direction of making this like a, a true horror movie where, I mean, he's he's obviously, you know, we, we discussed this uh, a little bit ago, but he's, you know, he's not a protagonist. He's an antagonist. Oh, 100%. Um, you know, he's you know, a villain in, I, in, in I would go one movie. step farther and say that, sorry to cut you off, but I, no, I would go right. one step farther and say that much like in Velvet Buzzsaw, basically everybody in this movie is a piece of shit too. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've talked about Lewis definitely as, as the main character. Yeah, we can move here. on to someone else. Um, but Rene Russo's character is basically like fuck it. I, I'll, while while I do think that she is a victim in mm-hmm. some ways, of, she's of definitely Lewis, a little cutthroat. She's also very cutthroat, and she's also like, well, fuck it. Um, there's the scene where they get the the home invasion, the one that really breaks him big. Oh yeah. Um, and that, and that dude behind her, uh, who obviously has some control. He's, he's the only moral center in the movie. Yeah, he, he's like, yeah, we... we this we, is fucking wrong. Right, yeah, like, it's... Uh, and he sees right through Lewis. Oh, he, he's the only one who's like, this yeah, guy's he's a like, creep. Yeah, he, he came into this house, he staged all this stuff. There's no interview with the couple. He obviously broke into it's, this fucking house, and right. we shouldn't show this on the news. Right, and there's that, but then the later home invasion and the triple murder... Yeah. Um, where he's like, um, we can't show this because it's gross. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it makes you feel icky. Yeah. Kind of gross, you know. And they Rene Russo. Bent, like 5,000 rules in, right. in order and, to and show Right, and Rene Russo it. just calls in the lawyer and she's like, well, I mean, I guess if we blur the faces and we don't give her the names, like, She looked I like guess. she was making the hardest decision she of her did. life. And she did. I don't know the actress's name, but she really played the shit out of that scene. Yeah. Um, and then even, even the guy is like, what about morals and ethics? And Renee was just like, oh, who gives a fuck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> basically, I don't remember her exact line, but it's yeah. basically like, oh, pussy, who cares? Right, you know? yeah. And again, I think that her character is a victim in a lot of ways because there's, a, especially because there's a line where uh, Gyllenhaal, who really ups the creep factor even higher if such a thing is possible in this scene where he's like, I want this and I want this and when we're alone in your apartment I want you to do the fucking things I want you to do and I don't want to hear any mm-hmm. shit about it basically yeah. and I was like oh my god I need a fucking shower right and I, like, I also like I want to punch you in the face you're a scumbag yeah you know? like, no he uh, I mean I, I've talked about him being you know the embodiment of uh, of whatever but he is you know at the core, he's just a, a shitty person. Yeah, just garbage man. Yeah, he is. He is garbage gar- man. He is garbage man. Yeah, uh, uh, and not the man that picks up your garbage. No. Those men are saints. Yeah, he's human uh, garbage man. Yeah, he's got nothing positive to bring to the situation. No, uh, but yeah, everybody's a piece of shit in this movie too. Basically, yeah. uh, no, no great people. Do we want to talk about? Um, I mean, we we haven't talked any uh, said anything about um, what's his name, Rick. Uh, was was that his name? Or, the the assistant. Uh, it, it, he's played by Riz Ahmed. Re, yeah. He does a good job of playing like a little twerp. Yeah, uh, he, <laughs> he I, does. I yeah. mean, yeah, like he gets I, pushed around. I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I've said the word twerp in my life. Yeah. But it's that time right there. <laughs> but he he like he he does a great job of playing that person that uh, has kind of he's looking for. Uh, you know, an opportunity to move up. It seems like he just needs a break. Yeah, but he doesn't know how to ask for it. Right. And he he just does a really shitty job of, 
I mean, he, he just, it's the classic case of not having uh, enough confidence in yourself when you're asking for a raise. Definitely. And then when he finally gets those words out that he's like, yeah, I've, I've been pulling my own weight. I've been doing research. I've been doing this and that, you know, and I think I deserve a raise. And then he gets turned down um, or he says, you know, we're not looking to promote you at this time. You know, and he gets all pissy. Uh, I just think like overall he plays that that mm. kind of person um, that in that role really well. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody in this movie is very good. Yeah. With the exception of the male detective, I, I can't remember his name, but something about him just fucking irked me. Uh, it just annoyed me about his performance. I, I don't want to say that it was necessarily bad. And maybe that was an intentional thing because he's playing a cop. You know, nobody likes cops. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I, I'm hesitant to say, even say it was bad. Just something, something about that performance from the detective kind of bothered me. But other than that, I think the movie is incredibly well acted. And maybe his was intentional too, so it was well acted as well. But um, reason that is, you kind of feel for him too. He's kind of almost like the Coco of this movie. Sure, um, almost. Where he just kind of gets shit on for the whole thing and then dies. Yeah. You know. Um, Which clearly, J- uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character clearly sees this coming. Yeah. Uh, like, what you see in his face that after he gets shot, there's there's no shock or, or awe. You can, I mean, he even looks at the shooter straight up and it's just like... Right, and, and just, yeah, it continues to record and then what he just walks away, right? Uh, Hall is the shooter. Uh, I, 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 oh, uh, yeah, so he lets uh, the shooter walk away and then, uh, and then that's gets, when the cops the cop come down and, and, and gun him, him down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then, you know, Hall's like, fade into the darkness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And <laughs> <laughs> but even Rick is like, you fucking saw him. You let this happen. You yeah. Know? And just like, lol, and walks and dips out. You know. Yeah, he's like, sorry. Takes about his your camera. Luck. Yeah. He's sucks, like, one less person. Yeah, one less person. I got to pay <laughs> right, now. And then takes his bag and 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 takes the camera camera bag and leaves. At, at the very end, where he's introducing everybody, and he's like, just know that I won't I won't ask you to do anything. I won't do. I was like, oh fuck, that's such a foreboding line yeah i i forgot about that line uh and and when i i, I rewatched it uh, a couple nights ago i was like well uh that is not necessarily a good bar to set right uh, uh i mean considering your employees don't know you like i do right uh that that's uh that's not a necessarily a, a good thing uh, for them I, I will say it, it's kind of it, so the last the last act of the movie, the last, let's say, 20 minutes, basically, where he they find the guy in the coffee shop or whatever it is that's the shooter. He calls the cops and gives them the tip. Like, you can tell that Lewis is not an idiot. You can kind of tell this throughout the whole movie because he is talking about online classes and stuff. He says he doesn't have a lot of formal education, I think. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I believe he says something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But he, he studies a lot online. Yeah. He talks about spending basically his entire day on his computer. Yeah, and he even says that he's like, I'm on my computer almost all day or, yeah. or something to that effect. Um, but you can tell he's smart because he planned this whole thing out. He's like, hey, if I turn this guy in, I'll get the reward. Then I can start this, you know. And that's how he gets the, I think it's like a $50,000 reward or something. He gets that reward and that's when he buys the vans and starts his company. Right. Like officially expands, I guess, into yep. from just being like, I want my company to be called this to having a company called this. Right. right. Um, but yeah, that line is just in a line full of fucking creepy ass lines from Jake, G- or in a movie full of creepy ass lines from Jake Gyllenhaal. That one really hit. I don't know what about it. I, 
Oh, I, I guess I do know what it is about it. It's like, because you've seen all the fucked up shit he's done in this movie, and you're like, oh, goddamn, what's he going to have these fucking... Because they're like bright-eyed kids, basically. Like, yeah. what the fuck is he going to have these people do? Yeah, you know? he got them in uh, those ugly-ass pleated khakis. Oh, those poor bastards. And those uh, ugly-ass polo shirts. Um, yeah, I, I think my my line, I mean, that, that was your line, um, or at least one of them, but my line was definitely the one uh, in the, the scene in the Mexican restaurant when, you know, uh, a friend is uh, a gift. That one. Uh, uh, it, it was, I, like, I, I, I literally shuddered when I yeah. heard that. I was like, Ugh. It's an uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable line. It's, it's a very good performance, but it's a very uncomfortable performance from him. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to see him, and, and he's taken some challenging roles before. Like, he kind of jokingly mentioned Brokeback Mountain, but, like, mm-hmm. I remember when that came out. That was, there was a lot of hubbub, hubbub about that movie, and, like, mm-hmm. that's a, yeah, I, I know that you you can't mm. speak too much to it since I'm the only one that's seen it. I, right, uh, I admit that and, I haven't seen it, but I do I remember seen, that. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, both uh, Heath they took Ledger a lot of flack and, for that role for those uh, roles. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but this movie is just more proof on top of uh, other movies in his catalog, like Brokeback Mountain, mm. that kind of solidifies him as an actor that can carry his uh, yeah. His he, own. he can actually act. Yeah, that's um, just a pretty face. Yeah, um, or six pack. Yeah, you he's, fuck Jake Gyllenhaal. You know, <laughs> I'll say yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's one of those actors that you know he doesn't mind doing you know your uh, like a family film or a silly film or mm. or whatever. You know, he did. Uh, what was that uh, video game movie? Um, the Prince of Persia. Prince, yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's done some like kind of schlocky, what you would call like for the money movies, I guess. Yeah. But he's also done some like weird arty stuff, like mm-hmm. Velvet Buzzsaw, or Nightcrawler, or Brokeback Mountain. You yeah, know, those are those are maybe not weird arty movies necessarily, but definitely more arty art style. Yeah, uh, he, I definitely feel like he, you know, he can hold hold his own, and he proves himself as one of those actors that you know, not necessarily could do everything and anything, um, but he definitely runs the gamut. And, and what I appreciate about it, what I appreciate about him is he seems willing to take risks. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of actors that are just like, oh, I'm comfortable in, in doing this kind of role and I'm good at it, so I'm going to keep doing it. Right. And I think Will Smith kind of falls into that where there's kind of a joke, oh, he just plays Will Smith in every movie. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with Will Smith. I enjoy a lot of his work, but I mean, I think that's a fair criticism. Whereas Jill sure. Hall has played like radically different characters. Like his character in Nightcrawler is radically different from his character in Velvet Buzzsaw is radically different from Brokeback Mountain is radically different from Jarhead. You know, yeah. You know, he, he he's got he's got he's tried a lot of different things. He's taken some 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 creative risks, and, and I appreciate that. Right? Yeah, you could. You Not can, that my opinion fucking I, matters. <laughs> you can make an argument that his character in uh, Velvet Buzzsaw is gayer than his character in Brokeback Mountain. Uh, if we're speaking surface level flamboyant, uh, he does tr- play it as very like stereotypically. He has a lot of like I guess what you would call like catty lines. Mm-hmm. Um, where he finds out that he's just so full of sass. Yeah, <laughs> so full. Where, of where sass. he finds out that Josephina is sleeping with Damrish after they've been on a break. He looks at uh, David Diggs' character Damrish and he's like, "The appreciation I had for your work is completely gone. <laughs> like, it, uh, be, like that, that's not something you would say in that situation. You know, right. I mean? like a regular person. Yeah, I don't mean like regular versus gay. I mean like regular as in a real life person versus a movie character. Yeah. Um, whereas, as this character in a satire that's like super flamboyant that's just what he would say yeah yeah that whole like first i want to say like four to five minutes of the movie was 
I mean, I know we talked about the level of vapidness in, mm. in this movie to a certain extent, but uh, I, I think that was kind of the point of the first like five minutes of the movie was to, show to be you how, so super yeah. vapid. Uh, and we didn't even talk about the scene where people are walking by that art piece that is blowing out the smoke and everyone's just fucking taking selfies. As is, Even uh, Josephina stops and does yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's like on, on the phone at the same time. Right. And she's like, hold on. And like she, you know, takes a picture just like... Because it's absolutely necessary for her. You to have to turn on Instagram with it. Yeah. And they even mention that when Tony Collette's character dies and they're showing the, that work of art that I called the mini Chicago yeah. bean. Uh, it's called Sphere. Right. Um, she, she's but we're almost, trending on Instagram. Right. She's like, it's terrible. But DC is blowing up huge. We're trending on Instagram and moments and everything. It's it's bonkers. Right. And it's like there's a literal dead woman. Right. And a bunch of kids walk through her blood. <laughs> Sit the fuck down for a minute and right. think about your priorities. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, we could we could drone on more yeah. about like, oh, you know, that's that's what we're you know amounting to now is taking our validity from likes and, and right. whatnot on social networks and stuff. And, like. and and people much smarter than us have talked about that ad nauseum. So mm-hmm. there's not really any need for us to go yeah, further with. There's it. nothing new to say about right. that, anyways. So um, I, I think at the end of the day. Uh, my opinions on Velvet Buzzsaw is that it was not; it was far from perfect. I think mm-hmm. it had a lot of problems. Some of them maybe are just manufactured in my head. Um, despite all that, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, same. I, uh, I would recommend, and I have recommended that people watch it. Um, but I would say recommend with the caveat that if they if you know they're into horror, they'll probably like schlocky horror. They'll probably be into it. If they like Jake Gyllenhaal, they might be into it just because they're a Jake Gyllenhaal fan. It's definitely not what I would call a movie for everyone. Sure. I, I think it, I, I think it's kind of obvious if you've seen it, it it's pretty evident why it was not a a I don't wanna I was gonna say it wasn't like a big budget movie. I don't know what its budget was, but mm-hmm. I mean in the sense of like a big studio movie. Um, you can see why it wasn't like a theatrical release, I yeah. guess. Because it's it's definitely got like a it, it's sort of like a niche kind of audience. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what that is, whether it's people that like satirizing art. Uh, all 12 people in the world enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Or if it's like schlocky horror movie fans. Um, I liked it because I really like art and I really like horror. Yeah. Um, so it, it was kind of right up my alley. So I enjoyed it. I think of the Gilroy filmography, I haven't seen Roman J. Israel Esquire, which is the movie he did between these two starring Denzel Washington. Yeah, I've, we I've, haven't mentioned that one. Uh, I've heard I, kind I, of varying I, things about it. Yeah, uh, I apologize to our audience that we haven't really talked about that at all. Um, we, we don't want to sound like we're discrediting that movie. Mm. Uh, simply put, n- neither of us have seen right. it yet. I, I um, haven't seen it. My watch list is like <laughs> abs- long? absurdly long. Probably yeah. like 1,500 titles that I have saved in a Word document that I yeah. need to get through. Um, it's on there. Um, I, I know that Denzel got a lot of praise for it. I, like I said, I've heard a lot of different things about the movie. They kind of run the gamut from it's awful, don't waste your time, to it's Gilroy's best. Um, of, from what I've seen from Gilroy, his best is still Nightcrawler. Yeah. I think it's going to be really hard for him to top that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's sort of like the sophomore slump with bands where you have your whole life to write the first record and then you have like two years to write the second one. Right. Um, so I, I think it's going to be really hard for him to top that. But I think he's very talented in what I've seen from him, both as a writer and a director. So I'm, I'm interested to see what he does next, even yeah. though Velvet Buzzsaw did just come out. Uh, I know that's probably been wrapped for a little while, so he may already be working on his next thing. Yeah, I'm interested. To see, I'm interested 
interested, excuse me, to see where he goes and what he does next. What about you? What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I want to echo uh, a lot of what you said. I did enjoy it. Of course, uh, you know, I did find a few problems with it. Uh, I think the majority was not necessarily me trying to categorize this movie or put it in a category because I understand that, especially with you know, art house movies like this, mm-hmm. you, you can't necessarily uh, file away like that. Uh, so, uh, but just um, on on a similar note, it was difficult for me to kind of get a feel for what the message was right. because it seemed like a, a torn in two movie where it wanted to be like a satire and it also wanted to be a horror movie. Um, and and we discussed how uh, with uh, with both sides it it kind of succeeded uh, on on both levels, but maybe if it focused on one more than the other, it would have done a better job of be more effective right but yeah overall i i really enjoyed it i would uh i'll definitely echo what you said about it not being for everyone mm. uh i i'd kind of put it in the same camp as any of um uh what's uh, what's the director's name he did um neon demon uh and uh, reffin yeah nicholas, Nick, nicholas Ren, yeah uh I, I'd, I'd definitely put him in in that category of you know it's it's not uh the, the movie's not for everyone Right. Um, just simply, put. I, I could see that. I, I don't think necessarily it's the same kind of movie. No, no, not uh, but def- definitely in the sense of like you kind of you're you're either gonna like it or you're not. Basically, yeah. I don't I don't think there's gonna be a lot of mixed opinion. I think it's gonna be either or. Yeah, and it's not even coming from a pretentious thing. Like, did you get it? Uh, did Did you get this movie? Right. Like, did you Did you truly understand the message? It's It's not that. It's It's just like you're sim. It's very polarizing. You're simply mm, not right. going to like it, or or you'll you'll like it enough to not hate it. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and then my thoughts, of course, for Nightcrawler are, you know, this film's fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I do believe, uh, like you, that it's it's his best. Uh, of course, not seeing uh, the Roman J. Esquire. Uh, uh, or what is Roman it? Roman J. Israel Esquire. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, uh, not having seen that. I, uh, I saw the trailer for it, or I rewatched the trailer for it yesterday. And... Um, I definitely want to go check it out. Mm. I'll probably check it out either later this week or this weekend. And um, hopefully, uh, I don't know, maybe we can talk about it sometime in the future. Or yeah, definitely. We'll, uh, we'll kind of maybe write a, a joint blog post about it or some shit. Well, we need to do more blogging on the uh, on, on the website anyways, aside from just podcast material. So, uh, But yeah, uh, Ted, thanks so much for coming on again. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it and uh, I, I think the plan, we, we've discussed it a little bit. Um, it's still kind of up in the air. We got some moving parts, but I think uh, we're going to try and make the plan going forward to have you uh, as more of a reoccurring guest, uh, especially when we do movie episodes. Yeah, I would definitely, um, I would definitely be into that. Yeah. yeah. This is a lot of fun, and it's, uh, I did a podcast uh, for a little while, a couple of years ago. I had a lot of fun doing it, and then kind of life shifted around, and I, I didn't have the chance to yeah. continue with that. Um, this is... This is really easy for me to just step in and out of, rather than have to right. like it be a total commitment. That sounds you sound like such a lazy asshole. No, I, I mean, uh, granted, you are uh, you're a busy individual that has a full time job and is also going to school. Yeah, so. going to graduate school, so I don't have my my free time is uh, 
very limited. So yeah, I don't um, I don't fuck with graduate school. So it's not fun. Yeah, I I would zero fucking fun. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Um. So yeah, uh, like I said, thank you again. Hopefully, we will make this a semi regular thing at least for the movie episodes. I would definitely definitely love to do that. And if and if I could be like a self absorbed asshole for a second. Yeah. um, If if uh, any of your I don't know how many listeners you have, but if any of them two. Yeah. If any of the my my mom and dad. Right. Either of your parents want to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I do have a Twitter. It's at Ted is on fire. Uh, all one word. Ted is on fire. T-E-D-I-S-O-N-F-I-R-E. All one word. Uh, feel free to follow me. I don't post that often. And generally, I basically just retweet funnier and better artistic accounts than me. Uh, but you can give me a follow um, if you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'd like definitely like to be on more in the future if, Absolutely. if that's something we can do. Yeah, yeah, go give Ted a follow on Twitter. Um, he's don't very active. follow me. <laughs> no, do it, do it or else. Um, and of course, do follow, um, you know, uh, the, the podcast on Twitter. Uh, you, I mean, just type in Geek Garage Podcast, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that, all that jazz. You can go to our website where we have uh, other material. We have all, all of our episodes listed um, where you can either listen there or you can find links to download them for uh, whatever device you have. Um, also, if you ha- if there's some podcasting platform that's out there that you can't find us on, please feel free to let me know in any way, shape, or form. Whether it's you know Facebook Messenger, I'm usually very quick to respond. Email, whatever, uh, let me know, and I will make sure that our show is is as accessible as humanly possible because the the whole goal is to have people to listen to it. So yeah, that's uh, that's it for us. Ted, once again, thank you, and we thank you. will catch you next time. Bye-bye.